Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. So I had an entire episode that I was slated to launch today at noon, like it normally does, and then I had the good fortune of being able to go and see Michelle Obama speak on the very first tour stop of Becoming And to put the cherry on top, she was interviewed by Oprah. And if you know anything about me, you know that there is no better way that I would want to spend my night than to listen to these two dynamite, accomplished, phenomenal women speak. And so I scrapped the entire episode. It'll come out at a different time. And one of the things that surprised me the most in the conversation is when Michelle talked about imposter syndrome. And I know in a previous episode, we've had um, Latanya who talked about um, imposter syndrome and dealing with that as she has climbed higher in her career. So if you have not heard her interview, go check it out. It is phenomenal, especially if you're someone who struggles with imposter syndrome. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about the things that I learned about imposter syndrome from listening to Michelle Obama speak. Now, first, let me start by saying I was shocked that someone like Michelle Obama would have dealt with something like this because she is incredibly accomplished, right? Outside of being the first African-American first lady that the country has ever seen and will ever see, right, the first, she's also really accomplished in her education. She's really accomplished when it comes to her per, uh, her professional uh, accomplishments. And so to hear her talk about how imposter syndrome has kind of reared its way into her life at different points was really, really comforting. And I don't know why, because I don't suffer with imposter syndrome as much as I used to, but to hear someone and to hear someone like Oprah talk about um, imposter syndrome really, really made me feel good about where I am in life. And so one of the things that she talked about, well, a story that she told that I connected with pretty early on in her talk was about when she was in high school, she went to um, her guidance counselor and she told her guidance counselor that she wanted to go to Princeton for undergrad. And the feedback was pretty much like, well, what makes you think that you can go to Princeton or like someone like you can go to Princeton? And it struck a chord with me because I remember having the same experience in high school. So as I mentioned in the very first episode, I went to undergrad at DePaul University through the Posse Foundation. It was a scholarship that I got. And I remember getting the scholarship and being really excited to go and tell my teachers at school, some of the ones that I had, you know, been with and working with through my entire four years. And while this specific person was not my English teacher, I remember telling one of the AP English teachers that I had gotten into DePaul. And I expected her to be excited for me because it was a full scholarship. And her response to me was, I bet you won't even make it a quarter. And at that time, I'm 17 years old and I'm shocked, right? Someone who is being entrusted with the futures of a bunch of young people to respond in that way when I was super happy and just proud that I was able to accomplish what I accomplished. And her response was, you probably won't make it a quarter because the kids who go to that school are very well-traveled and their families are really accomplished and you're really going to feel out of place. And I will never forget that. And at the time, I didn't know 
where that came from. And that leads me to the first thing that I learned from Michelle Obama. When someone says something to you, right, especially when you're young or just in general, you have to consider the source. Is the information coming from someone who you value, whose opinion you respect, who you feel like has your best interests at heart, who has a history, right, that is around pouring into people's lives. And for me, it's the first time that I thought in my life consciously that, oh my goodness, I'm going to a place where I may not belong, where I may not fit, where I may not be good enough to attend. And fast forward, I found out that the reason that she said that to me is because her daughter, a privileged young woman, went to DePaul and didn't survive a semester. And so in her mind, if her daughter, who came from a family that was very different than mine, had access to so many more resources than mine, could go to a place like that and not make it a semester, there's no way that a kid like me would be able to go there and not only just like make it, but excel. And this is where Michelle and I go our separate ways because when Michelle got into Princeton, she didn't go back to the school to tell her, the counselor, like, hey, I know what you said, but I actually did get in and, and, and all of those things. I, because the Lord ain't through with me yet, I went back to my high school after I graduated to be like, hey, remember what you said when I got my, you know, because I'm still, the Lord is still working on me. But unfortunately, she had retired at the time. But I think you have to consider the source from which your view of not belonging comes from, right? What is the earliest memory where you felt like, oh, I may not belong here? And what is the source of that? Right? Are we still holding on to, you know, in third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade or, or senior year, the, the feelings of not belonging based on other people's insecurities? And if that's the case, you have to attack that because it's not the other person's responsibility necessarily to convince you that you are good enough to be in that room. So when she told that story, I was like, yes, Michelle, you know my heart and you know that, um, that this is something that for a lot of people, especially black women, can be traced way back to something that somebody said or something that somebody made us feel in our youth because we are in spaces a lot of the times when um, there aren't a lot of us, right? And so it could probably be traced to something that someone said early on that we continue to carry with us or perpetuate as we get more senior in our careers. And I know I said that high school was probably the first time consciously, but I remember, you know, as I said in episode one, I'm an immigrant, right? And I remember being in third and fourth grade and meeting people and just feeling like, oh, like I'm not, I'm not quite African-American because I wasn't, but also feeling like, oh, I'm not, like the African kids don't see me as quite African either. And so feeling like I didn't belong in either space, I think probably is like the first time that I can think of where I felt like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here when I was at certain like functions or certain things. I just always felt out of place. And I think that carried on with me for a really long time until I got a sense of, you know, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. I'm going to be someone who uh, lives a life that m melts cultures and, and has a story that's very different. But I, I do remember thinking like, oh, I don't know if I belong in these spaces. And for me, I think a good thing, a good practice is always considering the source. Who, what happened to make you feel like you may not belong and is it valid? 
Um, the second thing that she talked about that I was like, yes, um, it's that a lot of the times we have um, imposter syndrome because we make assumptions about the other people sitting at the table, right? We assume that because they are at that table, that it means something about their intellect. It means something about their work ethic. It means something about the level at which they can contribute, and we all know some mediocre people who are at these tables, right? And But we assume that just because that person has that title or that person has that job, that it means something about them compared to what and who we are. And the reality of it is, we have no idea how people get jobs. We have no idea how people get the seats at the table that they do. Someone could get into a college. She gave an example. They're for college, right? People get in because their parents know people. People get in because they have the right money. People get in because they are legacies. People get in because they play sports well. People get in because they have a talent musically, right? There are different ways that people get to where they are. So just because someone went to Harvard does not necessarily mean that they are a genius, right? But we make these assumptions about people based on their credentials before they've ever proven anything about themselves or their capabilities. And then we somehow use that to shame ourselves into thinking that whatever space that we're in, we didn't earn the right to be there and the other people at the table did, which we all know is not true. For a lot of us, especially black women, you know the amount of work and the amount of stuff, right, that you had to deal with to move up in your career. You know the amount of work that you put in. You know the amount of sacrifice that you did. But somehow when we get to the table, for whatever reason, we forget about all that and we let the things that we make assumptions about allow us to diminish our own lights. And it's it's not in our best interest, right? Because none of it is fact. You don't know. And so when we stop assuming that because someone, you know, was in the room before you got there, that it all of a sudden means that they have more of a right to be in that space than you do, because it's just not true. So when you're in a room with people where you feel like you may not belong, check your assumptions. What are you assuming about the people in the room and is it true? Can you prove without a shadow of a doubt that they have worked harder, that they deserve to be in that space more than you do? If you can't do that, there's absolutely no reason to tear yourself apart. And I'm pretty sure the more you get to know the people who sit at the tables that you sit at, the more you will see that there is value in your presence at that table. The third thing that... Um, I got from the from the talk is one of the ways to combat imposter syndrome is to be prepared. So Michelle Obama is a very very accomplished woman, right? Outside of her marriage, and she talked about like not wanting to be known as Barack Obama's wife, but to be known as Michelle Obama, right? In her own right, she had her own accomplishments. She'd graduated from amazing schools. She was Barack's mentor for crying out loud. And she had the preparation so that when she stepped foot in those rooms, she had the confidence in her ability to deliver, right? Because she had done the work. I think a lot of the times we are afraid that when we get in the rooms, we're going to say something that 
will embarrass us or embarrass our people, right? Because we know that you, we all wear the weight of our tribe on our shoulders, right? We feel like we're a reflection of us and every other black woman that, that comes after us. And so we, we put this pressure on ourselves to make sure that we are a great role model for people and that we are representing our people well. But the fact of the matter is you have prepared. You don't just get thrown into a room on accident. And even if you do get thrown into the room on accident, there are ways to make sure that when you are occupying that space, you are prepared for what's to come. In previous episodes, people have talked about things like being excellent in your work, having a track record of delivering results. Those are the kinds of things that land you in rooms. And so when you end up in that room, and you're feeling, you know, like maybe I don't belong, maybe one of the things that you should do along your journey is keep a journal, a list of the bomb accomplishments that you have had. Some of those like, oh, I never thought I could pull this off, but I did. So that you can go back and remind yourself when you may not have a mentor or a friend or someone to like big you up and, and you know, celebrate you and remind you of your greatness, do that yourself. Keep track of um, the things that bring, give you power and give you confidence. So for me, when I'm feeling down or I'm feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can do this or, oh, this person might be better, I remind myself, like, child, you survived a war, a legit war. If you can survive a, a war and turn out to be a relatively healthy, uber positive giving human beings, you can survive any of this stuff. So when I have to plan an event on a short timeline with a small budget, or I'm trying to create something for our community where I know that I'm going to get opposition, right? If I can survive a war and not be a crazy person, I'm sure I can deal with a couple of no's or a couple of people challenging me. So for you, what is what are those things? What are those two, three, four things that you can always go back to and say, listen, if I did this, I know I can handle this. And so that your confidence supersedes how much fear it is that you that you feel about being in that space or whatever insecurities that you may have. Um, another thing that um, she talked about is what the responsibility is once you have a seat at the table. And I'm going to take that a, a step further and say, in my opinion, it doesn't matter how you got in the room. What matters is that you are in the room, right? I don't care. People, the, the lady from high school told me that she's pretty sure that the only reason that I got into DePaul was because of affirmative action. And even then I was like, I don't care. I got in. I don't care how I got in because I know once I'm in the room, I'm going to deliver, right? And so spend less time worrying about, well, I wonder how I got here. I wonder why I'm here. The fact is you are there and you can choose to stay there and contribute or you can always exit, right? It doesn't matter if someone called in favors. It doesn't matter if your mom was this or your uncle was this or it was a referral and all of those things. What matters is how you contribute and how you represent the people who made it possible for you to be in that room. So for me, um, I think it was my leak in her podcast, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but she said she was interviewing someone or it was either an interview or she was saying this, like, it does a disservice to the people, your sponsors and your mentors who put their names on the line for you who fight to get you into the spaces that they think that you deserve to be in, it does them a disservice to get into those rooms and then not contribute. 
right? Because people are literally putting their their names and their reputations on the line to get you a seat at the table. And people are saying, I am willing to potentially jeopardize a relationship or potentially, you know, miss out on some opportunities for myself to make sure that you have that seat at the table. And so someone, even if you don't see it in yourself, someone sees something in you, someone that you look up to, someone that you respect, again, back to the source, sees something in you that you may not see yet, you may not see yet, and you need to trust them. You need to trust that the people who are advocating for you to have seats at tables are not going to set you up for failure, right? Because when you fail, they fail. You are a reflection on them. They are the ones who who put you or made it possible for you to be in those spaces. So even when you don't believe in yourself and you're at the table and you're like, am I supposed to be here? Am I smart enough? Do I have anything to contribute? Know that even if you don't believe that you do, there were people who did believe that you could do it. And so let their confidence in you propel you to make sure that you contribute when you're in the room, right? It doesn't matter how you got there. I don't know how many times that I can say this. It does not matter how you got to the table. What matters is that you were there and what you do when you get there. Are you going to deliver the results to prove the person who advocated on your behalf right for taking that risk to get you that seat at that table? At the end of the day, to me, that's all that matters, right? And one of the things that Michelle said in her interview was that if you are going to take up space at the table, make sure that you are using your voice. Make sure that you are giving the perspective that you have that only you can share because there is only one you or get up out of that seat so that there is room for someone else who will do it. Right. And I know that sounds harsh. I know it sounds like very, very cold. But the, the reality of it is there are not that many of us taking up seats at table now to have it so that someone can just take up space. We don't have that luxury yet. And so if you are making the decision that you're going to walk in these spaces and go to these meetings and form these relationships and do this work, when you get the opportunity to speak up, Speak up. That is the that is the responsibility of occupying that space, because I know there's you know times where people think it's it's great to to say oh I was the only black person blah blah. That stuff gets old. Your job is not to get there and get so scared that it starts and stops with you and you are the first and only. Right? We are used to being the onlys. We all know how isolating and lonely and not sustainable that is. We all know that in community, we accelerate so much faster. And so it's your job when you're in that space to use your voice to make sure that in five years, two years, three years, you're still not the only one at the table, right? And if you don't want that responsibility, that's cool. Nobody's saying that you have to, but it's one of the privileges that you get for sitting at the table. And so if you can't do that, you have to move aside to make room for the people who are willing to take that on. and if imposter syndrome is something that's preventing you, right, if that, if the fear of being found out as an imposter, which you are not because you've earned that space to be there, if that supersedes your um, desire to make sure that you are utilizing that space, you have to yield the space to someone who is going to say, I understand the responsibility and I plan to take it on and make sure that I'm not the only um, and then the last thing that I think that I got from her that um, 
made me really think is that you're, you're in that space for a reason, right? And with most things in life, we don't necessarily always understand right away what that reason is. And for you, I think it's to figure out what is the perspective or the voice that you can contribute to that space so that you leave it better than you came, right? And so is that the fact that you, um, you grew up in a certain way that, you know, could add value to how people think about the work that you're doing? I remember when I was in undergrad, I interned um, with a publication company and there was one black woman who was part of the like the marketing team and she was the boss of it all. And I remember we sat in on a meeting and they were at the time creating a product catalog um, that was geared towards children and the art and the design team were, were presenting um, the magazine publication that like they planned to roll out. And so I, rem- I remember her very clearly sitting and going through the magazine and there was not one black child featured in that magazine that they were going to send out to families, right? Black families included. And she was in that room and was able to say, hey guys, this is great and all, but I feel like there's something missing. And for them, they hadn't even thought about including a black child. And this was a, this was some time ago. So this was probably like 2000 and two-ish but it just like and it wasn't a malicious thing like it just never occurred to them because that was not the reflection that they saw in their everyday lives and had she not been at that table that magazine probably would have gone out to all these families and people would have been like bruh but because she was there and she was able to see the product from a different perspective they were able to go back to the drawing board make some much needed edits and send out a much better product to their consumer base and so when you think about why you're at that table your perspective is necessary your perspective is something that people need if they didn't need you in the room they wouldn't have you in the room right and and you know, we get hung up on, oh, I'm just a token this, I'm just a token that. Goes back to my point. I don't care why you're in the room. You shouldn't care why you got, like how you got in the room, I'm sorry. You should figure out how you can maximize the opportunities for you and other black women like you that you are getting from being in that room. But overall, I loved, loved, loved Michelle Obama. She was literally classier and more articulate and funnier than I imagined that she could be. And I think a lot of the connection that happened in the room that night is because she is very open and honest about what she dealt with as a black woman in America. And for her to be able to do that for the first stop in Chicago, where she's from, I feel like there was a level of, um, of openness and candor that we got from her. Um, she talked about, you know, being the only, uh, black woman, uh, in a lot of different spaces. And she talked about building a career in, as a corporate attorney where she checked all the boxes and did all the right things and was miserable, right? And feeling like she didn't quite belong where she was. And just having someone who's as accomplished as she is really peel back the layers on what it's been like for her to be a black woman um, in this world at levels where black people had not seen before, right? She, there has never been another black person who's occupied the White House prior to Michelle 
Barack and her kids. And so to understand that um, that just because you become more senior in your in your career does not mean that these kinds of things that we deal with, like imposter syndrome for a lot of us, it doesn't mean that it goes away, right? Because as you become more successful, the voices become a lot louder. And sometimes the voices of doubt that are the loudest are our own, right? And we we are harsher on ourselves than anyone else can be. And for her, she said that it's not about worrying about making those voices go away. It's about hearing them and being able to tune them out to still do the work and remembering like what the goal is for you. And so I'm incredibly grateful that... Um, at the place that I'm in my career, as I'm figuring out, you know, what I want the next phase of my life to look like, to be able to sit and listen to two phenomenal, accomplished black women peel back the layers on what they've dealt with, um, how they've overcome being black in non-black spaces and opening the doors for other black women. And um, I may or may not, I took tons of notes, I may or may not just do a whole podcast episode on you know the gems that I got as it pertains to black women black women and being um, a boss and 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 how you navigate all of those things while taking care of yourself and family and prioritizing and all those things I may do that but I thought that doing this quick episode on imposter syndrome and what I learned from listening to my two of my heroes last night and um, I hope this helped a little bit I learned a lot. There's tons and tons more that I could share. I may do that at a different time. But as always, if you want to keep the conversation going, join us in our Facebook group at I Choose the Ladder or on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder. And then until next time, thank you for listening.